And so we, we had bipartisan support <laughs> on the bill. We got it passed through the California House and the California Senate with an almost 90% yes vote. Wow. That's insane. <laughs> and this is like, you know, none of these politicians even knew what compassionate cannabis was or that there was a nonprofit sector in the cannabis industry. So we educated them. They saw what we were doing and realized it was a no brainer. They're like, of course, yes, you guys should be able to give free cannabis to vets with PTSD. You should be able to give it to cancer patients. You should be able to give it to AIDS and HIV patients. This is Lit and Lucid, your after work de-stress smoke sesh podcast. I'm your host, Lit. And I'm your host, Lucid. And we're going to take you on a journey. A journey to discover the truth and find the balance. Every week, we get deep on those thought-provoking topics that ooze out of the cannabis universe. But we also keep it real by illuminating important issues and people in today's culture. So kick back. Consume your favorite cannabis products. And get cozy cozy in the the Lit and Lucid lifestyle. Welcome, everybody, to the Lit and Lucid podcast. We are here recording another episode of the show. We're already halfway through another season, you guys. I don't even know how that's happened, but we're just rolling right through from great story to great story. So we have another really inspirational guest for you today. We have Sweetleaf Joe. He is the founder and director of Sweetleaf Collective in San Francisco, which was founded all the way back in 1996, you guys. Uh, This is a compassionate organization that organizes low-income, terminally ill patients and helps provide them access to free, compassionate cannabis. So that's something I know we've never discussed on our show, and I'm really honored to have you here to share your story with us today. What's up, Joe? Hey, well, I just want to thank you for having me on the show today. This is really exciting. Um, You know, as somebody doing compassionate cannabis, the biggest thing that we are trying to do these days is educate the public about the nonprofit sector of our industry, because most people don't know about it. And this medicine saves lives. And so it's really important that people who cannot afford it can have access to it. And that's where we come in. And, um, and yeah, thanks again for having <laughs> me on the show. Totally. Yeah. And, and we're going to kind of get right into that and kind of, uh, you know, a lot of the shows going to be centered around the medical marijuana aspect of this and really where it all began in San Francisco and in kind of our eyes and really in like reality of where, you know, a lot of people put their neck out there first to make medical marijuana a thing. But I have to ask, um, you know, uh, do you consume cannabis for medicinal purposes yourself? Yes, I do. Um, I have issues with sleep. And so I have, you know, gotten medical recommendation, doctor's recommendation um, to use medical cannabis. Um, It has helped me for years. Um, You know, that's another important thing, I think, for people to learn about, as well as the endocannabinoid system, where we have medical cannabis and you don't need to be sick for it to do wonders for your health like you can be healthy and if you get more cannabinoids in your system you're just going to be even healthier i love that and so you know with the cbd with the thc you know all of these cannabinoids are really crucial in the operation of our our bodies 
I love that. I've actually not, I, I feel like I've like totally glazed over that whole fact of, um, you know, a lot of people turn to cannabis when things are already kind of going wrong and, you know, not a lot of people get ahead of the whole curve there and start taking cannabis. So things do not go wrong. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, and that's a really another important point. Um, you, y'all probably have heard about Simpson oil and people are using Simpson oil when they have cancer. One thing that no one's really talking about is using Simpson oil, um, preventatively. Yeah. Wow. So using the Simpson oil before you get the cancer can actually, you know, increase your chances for not getting the cancer in the first place. That's great because it's a lot of it just targets the, the immune system as a whole. I feel like there's always some analogies in like uh, kind of in like the, the more yoga practices about just like the flow of energy and just keeping everything flowing. And I feel like maybe that's kind of what it does with your body it just keeps like the juices flowing in your immune system and keeps you going versus like, you know, like we just said, wait until yeah. something like stagnates and then you got problems like like cancer or something. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if you have done a show about the endocannabinoid system, but that might be something to look into. Basically, the endocannabinoid system was discovered 50 years ago. And it's sad because the 50-year anniversary was 2019 and nobody really did anything about it. There hasn't been a lot of research done about it. And the interesting thing is the endocannabinoid system is the system in our body that regulates all other systems in our body. And so if you want to pick one system to have running at its best, you would want it to be the endocannabinoid system because then it's going to make all the other systems run really good as well. Yeah. And so that's another like thing where you know we're just going to get out there and educate the public because this plant is a miracle. It's amazing what it does for humans. Yeah, and I think that's even sad. I know doctors aren't even educated on the endocannabinoid system, really. So it's just mind-blowing. Yeah. It's like and a... it's been around for 50 years. Like, yeah. Come on, humans. Can we, can we get with the program? Yeah, they had, to, they had to discover that your body produces the endogenous endocannabinoids to be like, oh, man, well, maybe we should pay attention to this thing now because your body regulates it and produces its own chemicals to regulate it. So now is the time, I guess. Exactly. Exactly. Well, when I first heard your story, you reminded us of a modern day Dennis Perone. And then we started looking into you a little bit more. And he's one of your inspirations, which that's amazing because I feel like you're sharing what he was sharing. Uh, so for the listeners who don't know, why don't you give us just a little bit of history on, you know, Dennis Perone and the whole medical marijuana movement in San Francisco and how we got to where we are today. All right. Well, Dennis Perone. For those of you who haven't heard that name before, he is the person who had the most influence in getting cannabis legalized and getting it normalized. No one else in the world did as much as Dennis Brown did. And Dennis was active in San Francisco in the cannabis community in the 70s and the 80s. When the 80s hit, AIDS came on the scene and Dennis is, or he was an out gay man. And so his community really started to get affected by the AIDS epidemic. And so he and Brownie Mary, they started giving away free cannabis to AIDS patients. 
And they noticed that uh, it was really helping the patients out, especially in regards to wasting syndrome. So wasting syndrome is when somebody just doesn't have an appetite and they'll just waste away. Hmm. And with the cannabis, it gave them an appetite. And so people were able to keep their weight on. Some people actually like put weight on. And it was really, really helping people. And so in the 80s, you know, they were giving away free cannabis. They invented compassionate cannabis. They started the nonprofit sector of our industry. And this was at a time period when cannabis was still really illegal. And what happened was in 1993, Dennis Perone and Brownie Mary passed a local ordinance in San Francisco decriminalizing medical marijuana. And so in the city and county of San Francisco, we had legal medical cannabis in 1993. Hmm. Now, that worked really well. Dennis had uh, a dispensary, one of the first dispensaries in the state, and he was helping over 10,000 patients. And then they decided they wanted to make a medical law for the entire state of California. And that's where we get into Proposition 215. In 1996, Dennis was one of the authors of Proposition 215, and that was you know, the world's first statewide medical cannabis law. And the way that we got that passed, I believe, was educating the public about the medicinal value of cannabis and changing the minds of the older generation so that they no longer saw it as an evil drug on par with heroin. They started to see it as, as medicine that, that can help people. So I remember when my grandmother actually changed her mind and we were able to talk about cannabis as medicine and yeah, I mean, that was just, you know, we really, this whole time period, we've really seen a lot of change in the way people think about things in regards to cannabis and just being able to open up a dialogue. Really, And that's yeah. just been, it's been magic. And, you know, look at where we're at now, 25 years later, you know, a bunch of states have yeah. recreational cannabis and, you know, we're just seeing that movement spread across the country across the world and and it's great because it's providing healing and health yeah it really is and it's you know it's it, that's like the epicenter of where it all began and that's why it's kind of mind-blowing for us to even realize back in 1993 i mean lucy and i were just like infants and like <laughs> barely even born you know and um it's, yeah. it's crazy to kind of see even then just kind of how long it's still taken us to get to this point and realize you know the conversations you guys had to be having, even like the conversation with your own grandmother, I mean, it's it's probably so significant because some of us even today, whatever that is, you know, 25 years later or so, um, 30 years later, we're still having those same conversations today with our grandmothers. Yep. And so, um, yeah. you know, that it, it must have took a lot of courage to do it back then. And, you know, I think it had to start, you know, in some place like San Francisco and like a local community just to give it a voice, like you're saying. I think you had to have a voice behind it else it was just going to get smashed like, it has been for years. Yeah. And it's really interesting to think about too, like what you're saying, a, a person now who's going to be turning 25 this year, 
and they were born and raised in California, their whole life has been within this time period of legal cannabis. And so we have adults now for their whole life, they've grown up knowing that cannabis is a medicine. Mm -hmm. And so we're seeing this change generationally where it's so much more accepted now, a lot more research is being done and people, like we were talking about a minute ago, the dialogue is happening, which when everybody's talking about it, that's where we see growth. That's where we see people being willing to try CBD flower, for example, and, you know, and really start to, to get a lot of these medical benefits from the cannabinoids. Really? Yeah. I'm kind of curious though, you know, things probably didn't have to be just so smooth and easy. I mean, you guys probably had some resistance at some point um, doing some of this, right? I'm sure, you know, I feel like I've heard some of you know, the resistance with Dennis and, um, you know, tell us more about, you know, maybe the, the, the parts unspoken about. Well, um, Dennis did, you know, he was arrested a whole bunch of times for cannabis. Brownie Mary was arrested a bunch of times. Um, Brownie Mary was a great older lady. And when she became one of the spokespeople for compassionate cannabis and medical cannabis, you know, she was really strong and adamant about her views. And for example, she was arrested and then they told her that they were going to drop the charges, but that she wasn't allowed to give away free cannabis anymore. Wow. And she did a little press conference and, um, and she was like, basically told the public, like, if you want me to stop doing this, you are going to have to lock me up because if I'm not locked up and I'm not in jail or prison, I'm going to be in that hospital giving these dying people free cannabis to help them. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. And when you see when you see an elderly woman very passionate and angry about this, I feel like it puts a different spin on it. You know, it's not like me, some, you know, stoner bike messenger 20-year-old talking about how cannabis is good for people. This is, you know, it's kind of like in revolutions in Central and South America. You know, once the grandmas get out in the street and they're protesting, like yeah. it's yeah. over, yeah. you know, yeah. it's, it's, and, and so Brownie Mary was, you know, really incredible for that. I also wanted to touch on, you know, y- y'all mentioned that I'm the next Dennis Perone and people have talked to me about that over the past few years. And I just want to say it's a very humbling statement when people tell me that. And the only thing that I can say is that, those are big boots to fill, and I don't know if I can fill his shoes, but the thing I know I can do is I can follow in his footsteps, mm-hmm. and that's what I'm doing. Oh, I love that. That's amazing. So let's talk about that all the way back to 1996. Explain to us where that whole idea came from and the inspiration and how we created this whole movement. Yeah, well, at that time, I was a young punk rock activist and i was a part of a group called food not bombs and food not bombs takes food that is no longer sellable but it's still good so you know like bruised 
bananas and stuff that no one will buy, but it's still good food. You can eat it. And so we would take that food, we would cook it up, and then we would feed it to homeless people later that evening. And so I basically transposed that model onto the cannabis industry. I said, why don't we do food not bombs for cannabis? So it's a very simple concept. You take the surplus in the industry that is no longer commercially viable, and you get it to the people who need it, and you get it to them for free. Our patients have never had to spend a penny for the cannabis that they have received through our work. How cool is that? And yeah, and when I started Sweet Leaf, I wanted to target those most in need. And so I was looking at helping terminally ill people that were low income, people who could not afford this medicine. And if they did not have access to it, they might die. And so I really wanted to find the place that would be the most impactful and, and serve that community. And also, at that time period in 1996, this was also, legally speaking, a, a very smart move to do. Because in 1996, the federal government was going after doctors for recommending medical cannabis. They were trying to take away doctor's licenses wow. for just talking to their patient about cannabis. And that went to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court ruled on the side of doctors because it's a free speech issue. But I just bring it up because I want people to understand the climate that we were in. And so at that time period, we were all worried that we were going to possibly face federal time yeah. and you know i know people that that did get in trouble in that time period where what they were doing was legal in california but not legal federally and they went to federal prison you know for five years wow and they were doing compassion they were growing plants and like giving away a lot of cannabis and so it was scary you know we yeah. were all looking at five to ten year federal prison sentences for doing our activism right trying to help people really right. especially like terminally yeah. ill and i mean that's uh, i don't know i feel like it'd be hard to be a judge yeah, and, and to face that and just to like crack down on somebody who's trying to help somebody especially like a terminally ill it's mind-blowing exactly exactly and so that was you know another one of my perspectives was you know we want to be the most impactful and then also this demographic of patients is the most legally defendable. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think go. that I don't think a jury in California would send me to prison for five to ten years for for helping people that are terminally ill. And that, that was the hope. The other thing too is that, you know, I really kept my head down. Yeah. And I didn't I didn't do interviews for over twenty years. Like I've only really been doing interviews and podcasts uh, since Proposition 64 was implemented. So beginning of 2018. Mm -hmm. so I'm only like three years into doing this. I, people didn't, didn't know what we were doing. I wasn't doing this, you know, for notoriety. I was yeah, doing really. this because, because it was a calling. Well, that's incredible. I mean, some somebody had to do it. And, it, and that's what I always love. And that's why I land with these stories is because 
Um, you know, like you, you had to put your neck on the line and like that takes a lot of guts, man. And it's crazy that, you know, now yeah. you can kind of look back and hopefully like breathe a little bit of a sigh of relief and just, you know, look at all the people you've helped and that, you know, you made it hopefully on the other side. And, um, you know, now there's yeah. like a much larger movement. I definitely feel that now. Good. Yeah. <laughs> and great. now it's, it's a much larger movement. I haven't started getting involved yet, but I know there's other compassion programs that are now working with the federal government with the legislation that they're trying to pass on the federal level to, to make sure that nonprofits in our industry are, are protected and are recognized. That's and great. so, yeah, so, so things have, have definitely, definitely changed. And, you know, a lot of politicians are getting more educated on what compassionate cannabis is and the importance of it and how many lives that it's saved. And, and it's great, you know, all the work that we've been doing over the past 25 years is, is starting to come to fruition. It really and is. it's 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 heartwarming <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, it's it's really this plant saves lives. And, you know, it's just a tragedy to think that there's people in states where they don't even have medical cannabis and something like Simpson oil yep. could cure their cancer. And they're not allowed to try it. Right. And it's so expensive. I mean, I think about it. Even just simply when we go to the dispensary, I'm like, I don't know how people can afford this. And you have to be paying cash for these products. And it's so unfortunate. So, I mean, especially with Rick Simpson oil, that's a very expensive product. So I could only imagine. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, there's still stuff we're trying to work out, you know, it's an issue because cannabis is still a schedule one substance. Yeah. So a lot of cannabis donations can't get a tax write off for it. So we're still, you know, battling certain things in regards to, you know, really getting our nonprofit sector, the recognition that all other nonprofit sectors enjoy. And, yeah, and so that's some legislation we've been talking about trying to do in California is get California tax credits for businesses participating in Compassion. Because we're we basically, we're nonprofits that have to hustle to pay the bills. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're definitely going to get into that with the green unicorn farms and the altruism uh, CBD flower for sure. Yeah, we, we want to talk about that. That's that's like uh, Green Unicorn Farms is our folks. And then we, but that's let's how we... talk about real quick before we dive into that. I have so many questions, but let's start with, I know that you guys had issues with even becoming a nonprofit. There was something that was passed and then it was taken away. And then you guys just recently got something passed back in 2019. So explain how that whole process worked. Okay, that, that was quite the hurdle. So there was an issue in Proposition Proposition 64 got implemented. And the issue was that when it was written, the only people who were invited to the table were people with money that wanted to make money in cannabis. And they did not invite any of the nonprofits to the table. And so the issue is, is that there was a major issue that was overlooked in the the drafting of proposition 64 which is there was no distinction 
between commercial and non-commercial cannabis. Hmm. All the cannabis was supposed to be taxed because it was all considered commercial. And again, the nonprofit sector of the cannabis industry, you know, we had to go out there and educate people that there is non-commercial cannabis in our industry. There's cannabis that's being given away. So we had an issue starting in 2018. Well, actually, it, it happened in 2019 because there was a grace period where SB 420 and Proposition 215 was still an option in 2018, and then it sunset in 2019. So since there wasn't a distinction between commercial and non-commercial cannabis, all compassionate cannabis that was being given away had to pay taxes. Wow. We had to pay taxes to the state of California to give away cannabis. <laughs> so we started a, a fundraiser. We were selling lighters in dispensaries and every lighter that sold paid for the taxes on 3.5 grams of compassionate cannabis. So we were still getting compassionate cannabis out there to our patients, but we had to do fundraisers to pay the state taxes to be a nonprofit, to, to, to engage in these nonprofit activities. And we understood that it was an oversight. Yep. We started educating the politicians. We started lobbying in 2018 with a bill called SBA 29. And through the, the hard work of Sweet Leaf, of another compassion group called Weed for Warriors, that's a veterans compassion program and another group called operation evac, which is another veterans compassion program. We lobbied really hard and the veterans, they got all these Republicans to vote yes on this bill because they showed them that it wasn't about Republicans voting no on a cannabis bill. It was Republicans voting yes on a bill that was going to help veterans. Yeah. And so they, they flipped, they flipped all these Republicans. It was incredible. I, I can't believe the work that they did. And so we, we had bipartisan support <laughs> on the bill. We got it passed through the California house and the California Senate with an almost 90% yes vote. Wow. That's insane. <laughs> and this is like, you know, none of these politicians even knew what compassionate cannabis was or, that there was a nonprofit sector in the cannabis industry. So we educated them. They saw what we were doing and realized it was a no brainer. They're like, of course, yes, you guys should be able to give free cannabis to vets with PTSD. You should be able to give it to cancer patients. You should be able to give it to AIDS and HIV patients. And the sad part about it is in 2018, the governor at the time, I don't think realized what, the bill was about and didn't really understand what compassionate cannabis was. He only saw that, that there was going to be less taxes. Uh. If this bill got passed and I, I would have loved to sit down with him for a minute because it's like, bro, here's your two <laughs> options. You don't get the taxes because these people are totally broke and they're yep. not buying any cannabis or you don't get the taxes because we don't pay it and we just give these people free cannabis. Right. right. Like either way, there's like no money here. You guys, our patients 
our our sweetly patients live in San Francisco on Social Security, which they receive a thousand dollars a month to live in one of the world's most expensive cities. Right. Like these people are not buying cannabis; they have zero disposable income. They cannot buy it, and um, so that was sad. It got vetoed, and. I approached Operation Evac and Weed for Warriors, and I was like, all right, guys, you ready to do this again? <laughs> and so we did it again in 2019, and lo and behold, it passed <laughs> with an almost 90% yes vote. Wow. Go. <laughs> Who saw that coming? <laughs> and so, so, you know, we had a new governor, 2019, Newsom, and he signed it. And so it went into effect in March of 2020, and we no longer are on the hook to pay some taxes to the government to participate in nonprofit activity. That's wonderful. So that's really, that's really great. And there's, there's a couple points I want to bring up with this, which is when it first happened, people encouraged me to look at Colorado, Oregon, and Washington since they had already passed recreational laws, people encouraged me to research what they did in their state to protect compassion. And what I found out is that compassion disappeared in all of those states. And that's a tragedy. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's people that, that died because they were no longer able to access free medical cannabis. And with our history in this state and with Dennis Perone and all the work that he did, we knew, we knew we had to do this. And it wasn't just for my, my hundred sweet leaf patients. You know, this was, for millions of Californians. And we needed to set this precedent for the rest of the country and for the rest of the world. And I feel like we're really lucky in California because we have multiple generations of people who've been practicing compassion. This is legacy stuff. This Mm -hmm. is history. This is This is the foundation of the cannabis movement of legalization, recreational medical. And we we were not going to let the patients that got medical cannabis and, and changed the way people thought about cannabis, we were not going to let these people get swept under the rug and forgotten. And it was such a travesty with 64 that now, you know, a regular 21 year old skater has access to medical cannabis and a dying terminally ill patient who has had access for 20 years to medical cannabis for free now does not have access to it. It made compassion illegal and recreational legal and it was just a it was just a real travesty and we knew that we had to do something and when 
the California Compassion Coalition got together in early 2018, you know, we didn't really know each other. All we knew is that we needed to fix this issue. And I remember talking to Ryan Miller from Operation EMAC. And I was like, look, uh, I don't know how long this is going to take. And we weren't sure if we were going to have to solve this with a bill in Sacramento or we could do it through the regulatory system and it would be quicker. We weren't sure how we were going to be able to do it. And so we didn't know how long it was going to take. I was like, hey, I don't know how long this is going to take. All I know is that I'm not going to stop until this problem is solved. And one of the biggest victories I think we had with SB 829 and SB 34 is that it is the first time a governmental body has recognized the nonprofit sector mm-hmm. of our industry. Exactly. This is That's big time. Nonprofit. We we should not be taxed. Yeah. People should be encouraged to participate in compassion because it makes the world a better place. Yeah, you should be able to like receive donations lives. from other companies that want to participate and yeah, I, I think that's kind of even the missing part in all this. That's what I wanted to comment on before we even got started was just, you know, nonprofits still on a federal level are not even recognized or it's become like uh, out of reach for a lot of these people to even reach nonprofit status. So mm-hmm. um, what you guys are doing within the state, I mean, that's huge alone just to like, this is like the 1993 of you know, 2020 in a way of like, you're still changing perceptions on just different levels now. Yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing. And I feel like if we hadn't gotten SB 34 passed here, I don't think we would have as much leverage on the federal level. And that's the other thing is medical marijuana passed first in California. It also passed the same time in Arizona, but their uh, state government over, they, 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 overthrew it and they they took that law out they had some weird thing in arizona where the state can vote on a ballot issue and then the how the house and the senate of the state can like repeal it but that's not an option in california the will of the people has to be implemented here but so sorry i digress so we were the first ones to make medical cannabis now over half of the country has medical cannabis laws California sets the pace. And that was why it was so important for us to get SB 34 passed because we knew that it would ripple effects around the country and around the world. And we knew, like I knew it wasn't about my 100 patients. I knew that I had to get this passed for them, but I knew that I had to get it passed for everyone. And I think that's what, you know, a lot of us that were working on these bills that, that this is what was going on in our heads. And it, it was just too important of an issue, you know, and we, we passed all this, we did these, these bills with, with zero funding. You know, we were paying our own gas to drive to Sacramento to these commission hearings, these committee hearings and to testify about the importance of compassionate cannabis. And for a loose-knit group 
of activists that had zero funding to have this sort of impact is incredible. Absolutely. And it's inspirational. It and it, it just goes to show that, you know, a small group of people really can change the world. Absolutely. And other people can do it too. And I, any, any of your listeners in Colorado or Oregon or Washington, man, I would love to hear about compassion laws trying to move forward in your state. And anybody who wants to talk to me about what we did, I am more than happy to have hours and hours of discussion about how to get laws passed for compassion. It has to be a necessary thing. Because it's so important. It really is, yeah. I mean, now that you brought it up, I, mean, I know in Colorado, I don't think there's anything like what you guys are doing. Um, and I could be wrong, but I know you know dispensaries offer like 15, 20% discounts to veterans and stuff. But discounts? It's, it's, yeah, but it's, you still have to pay, clearly. That's, that's a promotion. <laughs> yeah, it's a promotion. You know, and that's yeah, something, exactly. too, with, with compassion is that, you know, we're true compassion. And sometimes people use that word a little lightly, compassion. And what they really mean is a promotion, like buy one, get one free. Oh, yep. it's compassion. <laughs> no, compassion involves zero money on the part of the patient. Yep. Yeah. The patient does not have to pay anything to receive free cannabis. And our patients, they receive two ounces of flour a month. Wow. Wow and a bunch of like concentrate and edibles. And, you know, our, our, our last SB 420 Proposition 215 giveaway, we did it at Dennis Barone's house <laughs> at the table it. where they wrote, they wrote Proposition 215. That's wild. And we set a compassionate cannabis world record, I would like to say. I don't know if this is true, but I, I don't <laughs> think anybody else has given away this much cannabis in such a short time. We had 80 of our patients come through. It was right before Christmas, and we gave them their daily maximum limit, which was half a pound. Oh, wow. So we gave away 40 pounds <laughs> to 80 patients right before Christmas in four hours. Wow. So this donation had a retail value of around $200,000. That is huge. So we gave away $200,000 worth of cannabis in four hours. Yeah. 50 grand an hour. And I'm pretty sure that that's a, that's a world record. That's so amazing. And I know you guys are trying to get to 1 million in 2021, which <laughs> I can see you doing. Yeah. I love this. It's turning that's into our like a big goal this year. We're like expanding fundraising. We have teamed up with Green Unicorn Farms and Altruism. And we're, you know, getting, we're raising funds through the sale of CBD flour. And we're hoping that in 2021, we will hit our goal of helping patients access a million dollars worth of compassionate cannabis. And it. previously, I believe our annual records have been around $500,000 worth of cannabis access. And so we're shooting to double that this year. Wow. 
And, and I will. think it's possible we had a giant donation from Tin Slips and Olo here in California. It was about a, a two hundred thousand dollar donation. Oh, wow. It was eight over eight thousand units nice. of their product, and we have made it through. I want to say like eighty to ninety percent of it. We've already gotten out there, and so this is in the you know first two months of. 2021 and we're right on track you know <laughs> yeah. right on track yeah. if we're doing a hundred grand worth of compassion every month we're gonna hit our million dollar mark and that's really you know that's that's it's amazing i mean it is six, incredible i'm sorry seven seven figures of compassion is i mean that's it's monumental and so yes yeah, so what we're doing is we've teamed up with altruism and green unicorn farms and they are selling smalls of merlot cbd uh, magic bullet and cherry wine and all proceeds from the sale of these altruism smalls will be going towards sweet leafs fundraising and overhead and so we're really, really, really excited about this partnership. And yeah. I love it. That's great. Yeah, we uh, we kind of teamed up with Green Unicorn Farmers a while back. And we fell in love with their CBD products. And uh, Chris mentioned this to us. And we were like, we got to get on board with this. This is like the most amazing story ever. And to hear now you guys are like well on your way to surpassing your goal already, that just makes us grin ear to ear. That's big time. <laughs> well, and then, this is a way consumers yeah. can get involved, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, now it goes exactly. beyond just like the tax and the lighters. And now it's like a step up now to everybody can get involved now from anywhere. Right. Exactly, exactly. And that's really... You know, I'm obsessed with win-win-win situations. I want to be involved in projects where everybody feels like they're winning. You know, from the the owner of the business all the way down to the compassion patient. You know, everybody can win. And I feel like with making compassion products, we're able to pull in consumers. I, I firmly believe that stoners that cannabis consumers support compassion and support our nonprofit sector. And they want to see this happen. And the thing is, is everybody's been kind of on the sidelines because unless, you know, you're actively working in one of these projects or programs, you're, you're probably, it's, it's pretty difficult to participate Mm -hmm. in. And now we're making it easy for people to participate in compassion. You can help save lives. Like when people buy altruism products, you are actually saving someone's life. And it's kind of like this whole like, you know, Tom's thing. They're like, oh, buy a pair of shoes. We'll get a pair of shoes to, to, you know, someone in a third world country. And that's great. That's awesome. What is Interesting with Sweet Leaf is Sweet Leaf takes it to the next level. Like shoes are great. You don't want to, you know, get blisters on your feet walking around without shoes. But when we're talking about people with a terminal illness where this medicine is saving their life, it's extending their life, they're able to live with HIV instead of die from HIV. And it's, it's, 
it's just amazing. It's, we want to get more people involved. We want to see the nonprofit sector grow. And we feel like by involving consumers that we are going to be able to grow and we're going to be able to take care of more people. The whole point of this is creating more access to compassionate cannabis. And the only thing that has been holding us back for years is funding. And since we're not allowed to give tax deductible donations, we need to figure out hustles. You know, we need to figure out business models that will benefit the business as well as the compassion patient, as well as the consumer. You know, we want everyone to feel like they're winning. You know, we are saving lives together. Yeah, and the, the thing I always put an emphasis on is, you know, everybody wants to point the finger at me, you know, oh, he's the guy, he does all this stuff. And what I like to tell people is, you know, we have this concept, team compassion. You know, I might I might be pulling more weight than than a lot of other people in team compassion, but I can't do this by myself. I can't be the only person on the basketball team because it doesn't matter if I'm Michael Jordan, I'm still going to lose because I'm only one person. Mm -hmm. And this is a a community effort. This is us all coming together to help these people that, that need it, that, you know, that don't have access to cannabis people that, you know, our patients don't just have physical medical issues they have mental issues as well i mean it's hard for these people to navigate life because of their terminal illness and also because of their mental illness like these are people that that need our help and we can help them and the more funding we have the more people that we're going to be able to help you know we're expanding around the state right now we're in the process of trying to open uh chapter of Sweetleaf in Humboldt County. And, you know, the more support we get, the, the more we're going to be able to do. Yeah. I recognize some of the farmers you were working with in Humboldt and there's some great. Oh yeah. I saw that y'all had like space coyote on here. Oh, Oh, yep. Yep. Yeah, we, we know, got some of their stuff uh, last summer. Oh, no way. Oh, and nice. we know uh, the Grow Sisters yeah. as well. Oh, yeah, Siobhan. Yeah, Siobhan, yeah. yeah she lives right down the road from me. I live up here in Trinity oh, no County. <laughs> yeah, she's she's down the road on the, on the 36. There you go. That's a great community you're in, and I think what you're doing is great. And, um, you know, I really think at some point you've got to give yourself a pat on the back because you have done a lot from the start to, uh, you know, stick your neck out there and, um, you know, I think our listeners, like you mentioned, our listeners are very compassionate people to Lucy and I and a lot of our other guests. And I know they're going to really love this story that you shared with us today. And a lot of it is just like new stuff we're, we're even learning about all the hurdles that are out there. And, you know, things, things may look nice or we may, you know, make progress in some areas, but there's still areas that have to be addressed. And that, you know, like you mentioned with some of the stuff, there's oversights by regulators and legislators and um, not everybody can get it perfect in the first try. So there's still there's still a battle in the trenches and, um, you know, like, uh, you know, terminally ill people, they need help as well. And, um, like, you know, the whole purpose of this whole podcast, a lot of it's around, you know, how do we get access to cannabis for them and, 
and you're doing it. You know, you're doing those things. You're 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 sticking your neck out there. You're putting the work in, and uh, you're challenging some of these status quos, which is huge. So, uh, first off, thank you for all the work you've done, and and thank you for everything you're going to continue oh, you're doing. Welcome. Thank you. Um, and I thanks, you know, thanks for the acknowledgement. Yeah, and and I think you know if anybody's listening, you know this is something that's going to have to happen in every single state. Um, until it's federally legalized, then a lot of these hurdles are cleared. So um, have these conversations. You know, ask your your dispensaries what they're doing, or ask you know what the laws are in your state, or ask you know if there's any programs. And if not, just maybe mention you know that there's probably people out there, even in your state and your community, that are the same way. And um, I know I've had you know friends and family who have went through the same issue, and they needed Rick Simpson oil, and um, it's hard to find, it's hard to source, and especially mm-hmm. if you're paying for it. It's expensive. It's expensive. If you, even if you don't have any money for it, just imagine how inaccessible it becomes even then. So um, what you're doing is extremely necessary. And I almost think it's probably one of the first things that needs to happen anytime one of these new markets is opened up of like, yeah. why isn't there a compassion program built in? You know, it's the same issue in my mind with, um, you know, like social equity and, and things like that. And um, a lot of these people went to prison. Well, you know, the same here. A lot of people are not getting the medicine they, they need or they can't have access to it. And I think we really have to help our um, underserved communities first and foremost anytime something like this happens. Yeah, absolutely. Most definitely. Well, let's wrap up the show. I know you probably have hundreds of stories that you could share with us, but maybe just share one inspirational story of somebody who's you know benefited from your compassionate program, one that really sticks out. Well, uh, we have a number of really great stories. Um, one of our patients that we had been bringing to Sacramento when we were trying to get the law changed, um, he is a prime example of a compassion patient. He is elderly. He's a senior. He's a veteran. He's low income. Um, he is completely blind. He is almost completely deaf. He's had HIV for over 30 years. And a year and a half ago, he was diagnosed with cancer. And this is just a prime example of what a compassion patient looks like. This is somebody who needs our help. There's a lot of people in the world that haven't been dealt a really good hand. And for me, as somebody who is healthy, who comes from privilege, I believe that it's my duty to help others. And so the story I want to share is another patient who we went we had one of our messengers cause we were doing bike delivery back then in the two fifteen days, we were actually able to handle cannabis. Now we're no longer able to ha- handle the cannabis. So we had a new patient and he was dying of wasting syndrome. And he, <clears throat> He looked like a skeleton when we first went to see him. Um, He had had to quit his job because he didn't have the energy anymore. 
when he went outside to go shopping, people would stop in the street to stare at him because he looked like he was about to die. And um, his doctor had him on prescription medication that was supposed to be an appetite stimulant that didn't work at all. And those pharmaceuticals cost something like $3,000 a month. And they didn't work. (laughs) And uh, we brought him over cannabis. And, you know, he told us his story. And then when we did the next delivery, so I believe at that time period, we were doing deliveries every other month. So two months went by. The same bike messenger came through there to do another delivery. And, uh, and he went in this patient's house and the patient had put on 30 pounds. Oh my goodness. And he got his old job back. Oh, wow. <laughs> and his, his doctor, his doctor said he couldn't explain why he had gotten better. He just said, whatever you've been doing, keep doing it. <laughs> and, you know, this is just one story. Yeah. You know, and there's there's hundreds, thousands of stories like this out there, you know, and they're inspirational. And the nonprofit sector of our industry saves lives. And on the flip side of this coin, when Proposition 64 was implemented, and Proposition 215 and SB420 sunset for that year in 2019, there was a bunch of compassion programs that had to close and i know for a fact of patients that passed on in that time period because they were not allowed access to medical cannabis and that's a travesty yeah it is yeah that's what i think it's a travesty that 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 we just we don't want to see it happen anywhere else you know this is hard this is this is people's lives. Yeah, it's, it's almost, and it's, I feel like with the last year of COVID. Yeah. It's, it's unnecessary. And, you know, and, and, and we can do something about it Yeah, we can. and we are doing, You're something, already doing about something about it. About it. Yes. And we want, we want to do more about it because people are still slipping through the cracks. They're slipping through the cracks in California, but they're slipping through the cracks even more in a lot of these States that don't even have medical. Yeah. You know, a lot of these states down south and it's, Florida it's up and, to... Oh, yeah, I was saying like even places like Florida, I mean, um, like yeah. I, I do not like their way they've implemented a cannabis market at all. I think it's completely screwed up and I think there's a lot of people like this that probably need a program like that down there, but it'll just get lost in the mix from how they've framed up their whole industry, so... Yeah, I think, you know, people like this has to be something that has to be ahead of like the whole curve and it should be like part of the whole medical program mm-hmm. as it's implemented. Like it almost needs to be like a stipulation exactly. of like, the first thing of like, okay, medical cannabis is the first thing in your state. 
Well, you're going to develop a non-commercial side for nonprofits to actually address these folks who yeah. really need the cannabis the most. Because yeah. um, uh, there is one one municipality, Berkeley, had okay. a, a local ordinance that they passed. The voters voted on it, and they have mandated compassion, and they've had it for years in Berkeley where there's a certain percentage, I forget what the percentage is, like maybe 3% of total sales or uh, net profit needs to be going back to compassion and giving away cannabis. So there is one small locality that has done, has implemented something like that. But I think you're right. You know, we need to do this on a much bigger level. And that's why it's important for us to be thinking about things on the federal level at this point. Because once we get things done on the federal level, I think that will fix things in places like Florida, where now it's like, oh, you have to do compassion because we're the federal government. You can't you can't keep these people away. There's people that are that are dying because they don't have access. And that needs to be addressed and rectified. Yeah, really. Yeah. Immediately. Yeah. And and that's going to touch on all different parts of it, too, you know, like. uh like nonprofits, cannabis nonprofits have to be kind of allowed and allowed to do what other nonprofits do, first of all. And then I think regulations have to be built mm-hmm. in so that these things are allowed of, uh, you know, there's another, there's another home for products that um, maybe had like just passed their expiration date or their shelf life or something or, um, you know, whatever the, the problem oh, yeah. may be. Like there has to be a place for those things to go if there's a good use for them still. Mm-hmm. Exactly, because state of California is having people destroy these things. So they're having to pay to destroy stuff that they're already losing money on. And so I'm approaching these brands and distributors and I'm like, why are you paying to destroy this? Give it to us and we'll get it to the people who need it. So you're going to save money and you're going to make the world a better place. Another one of these no-brainers, another win-win-win-win situation. I want everyone feeling like they're winning. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, if if anybody's not feeling like they're winning, then we need to go back to the drawing board. How can we we figure it out? You're doing an amazing job. You (laughs) are the most selfless person I think we've had on our show to date. So (laughs) kudos to you. Like I've had chills this whole (laughs) episode. My mind is blown. It's so amazing. So if anybody feels, you know, inspired as we are, make sure you check out Green Unicorn Farms, I believe, dot com. And you can purchase some of this CBD flower and help move the Sweet Leaf Collective movement forward. Um, It's all just really, really amazing work. Yeah, really. And this is um, and this is all the altruism, and this is all through their website, correct? Yeah, it's through their website. It's altruism smalls, at uh, that Green Unicorn Farms is selling. So it's those specific. It's three items. We have the Merlot, Magic Bullet, and Cherry Wine, and so they can be purchased individually. Or there is also a compassion bundle yeah. where you can get. All three of them, you get a discounted price, and and that's that's how you can support Sweet Leaf. Um, it's just one. It's these these three products, the smalls, and you're going to want to look for altruism. Yep, it's the very first thing is, on their website. I just found it. Compassion bundle. Hit it up. Oh well. So you, greenunicornfarms.com. Check out CBD flowers, the first thing on there. Jared and I got to try some this weekend. We started our Saturday morning off I with loved a it, yeah. really great cherry wine CBD. And the cherry wine. wine. It tastes legitimately like cherry wine. It was, it was, it so was fabulous, you guys. 
All right. Well, it's, Joe. It's really, they're, they're, they're good products. They are. Thanks. They I'm really glad are. you guys like no, they're really great products. We've been smoking their CBD joints for a couple months now, and they're top-notch. It's the only thing we smoke before a podcast if we do consume. Yeah, really, yeah. I mean, we are still like medical consumers ourselves in some sense. And like, I'm a true believer in CBD, and I like their CBD joints because like, it like snaps me back into focus whenever I get distracted during the day, and I don't have to go and like go get like super elevated or high or something on like a THC joint, so... I'm a believer, man. CBD helps like snap me back into shape. So, <laughs> All right, Joe. Well, we like to end our show with just something fun. We are the Lit and Lucid podcast. So are you lit or are you lucid? I'm lucid today. <laughs> it's still early. <laughs> it's early, yeah. <laughs> well, that still leaves it open to be lit later. So. <laughs> Cool. All well, right. thank you again. You know, your story is wonderful. Awesome. And, um, we're going to keep supporting you, man. And we're going to be uh, we're going to be dropping this idea in, in ears around Colorado and definitely dropping in our shows because it's it's necessary, as we've mentioned. And and if you're listening, you know, have those conversations. Uh, you know, you might be surprised of what you're able to to kind of shake out and kind of move forward in your own local area. All right. You guys with that. I'm lit. I'm lucid. And that's it. Laters. Oh.